0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show.
1: Alvin, don't do it yet, but have it prepared. I need some tunage ready. Honestly, even as an LA native, I've never had much need for this song. Never really liked it, never really felt it, never had any need for it, even as an LA native. But after seeing, The Dodgers, dead in the water last night. Not my words, but manager Dave Roberts. I agree with him. They were dead on arrival. They were dead in the water. I think having seen that yesterday, I'm actually starting to like that song for the first time ever. In fact, Alvin, I never thought that I would say that, but I think I bleeping need this song. Give it to me. Yeah, you know what? It sounds different to me today. There's something about it. I've heard that song 8 billion times. There it is. The tweets are already coming in. Oh boy, here we go. Dodger Jim is at work with his blue Dodger glove. No glove. No rooting interest. But I will ask you, Dodger fan, because I am objective. Hey, Dodger fan, how the hell are you living right now? How the hell are you living right now? Actually, wait, don't answer. Let me ask you something else instead. Instead of me asking you how the hell are you living right now, let me ask you this. How were you living about 15 hours ago? I can actually answer that as well. Barely on life support. And somebody was about to go right inside that room and rip that plug out the wall. Because down two games to none in the series and down 5-2 with five outs to go. You were finished. You know you were not coming back from a three-run deficit, and you sure as hell were not coming back from a three-games-to-none deficit, especially after the Braves chased your ace in your own house after spotting him a two-run lead. D-O-A. And not my words, but again, the words of Dodger manager Dave Roberts. We were dead in the water. You could see it. We were dead in the water. You could see it. How many times have you ever heard a manager cop to that? But he's right. They were dead in the water, and you could see it. Clear as day, Skip. Because even though the Red Sox did come back from back in the day, from a three games to none deficit, this was not going to happen again. The Dodgers were not going to do that. Except nobody told that to this dude. The former MVP, who really had not done a damn thing all season long, suddenly did the damn thing when they needed it most. Cody, James, Bellinger, if you need him. Got a pitch to Bellinger. And a fly ball to right center field. It's well hit, and it is gone. A three-run home
0: run for Bellinger. We've got a new game. It's tied at
1: five on a one-two. Get out yeah. Dodger Radio quote Oh boy here we go Dodger Jim at work with his blue Dodger glove again I have no rooting interest except for something to talk about and Cody Bellinger gave us something to talk about Cody bleeping Bellinger I'm not sure I've ever seen any situation or any moment or any locale, or any scene changes quickly and as dramatically as Chavez Ravine did when Bellinger went up there and murdered that Luke Jackson offering. Like, I've lived here virtually my entire life, honestly. I, I did grow up, in fact, as a gigantic Dodger honk. It passed when I got into the business. But I did grow up that way. My point is, I've spent almost my entire life here here. And around here, I'm not sure I've ever seen that yard the way it was when Bellinger jumped ship. Again, Dodger manager Dave Roberts. It was as loud as I've heard Dodger Stadium after that homer. I mean, that's the absolute truth. Only time and the rest of the series will tell. But that moment, that moment felt like a where the hell were you moment or where the hell were you when moment. Like where the hell were you when Cody Bellinger crushed that ball and took the paddles to L.A. season. Man, there is so much about that bomb that makes no sense. So much about that bomb that was so improbable. So much about that bomb that should have been impossible. The fact that it was on a 1-2 pitch. The fact that it was way out of the strike zone. The fact that the pitch was more than four feet off the ground. That simply is not the kind of pitch that you deposit into the seats. It's the kind of pitch you lay off of for ball two. And if you swing at it, you're almost guaranteed to strike out because that's an elevated heater at 96. And hey, don't believe me, but check this. according to ESPN, nobody had homered on a pitch like that in the postseason in the last 13 years at least. They know that much, except Bellinger did. Because, of course, that guy did. We're talking about a guy who hit 165 in the regular season. Not had 165 hits, but had a batting average of 165 in the regular season. And that was not a small sample either. The guy had 350 at-bats and did next to nothing with them. Not only that, but all season long, this guy was garbage on fastballs. He had one home run all year, on a pitch at 95 or above, and he hit 150, 150 on all fastballs. The guy could not turn on a fastball. This guy could not catch up to bleep all year long until he had to yesterday. I mean, say what you want about Bellinger, but this dude is clutch. Time after time after time, this guy comes up big in the biggest moments in the postseason and then dominates and then flexes on everybody after the fact. And did it again yesterday. But it's not like it's the first time, right? Remember the home run in Game 7 against the ATL last year. Eighth pitch has been the magic one tonight. This time he hits the ball to deep right field. Cody Bellinger has done it! And the Dodgers lead in Game 7! Game 7, right? How about that go ahead RBI single in game five against Frisco just last week?
2: Here comes a one-two from Duvall. Lines one in the right center field
0: for a base hit. Turner will score. Lux is on his way to third. Bellinger, with the biggest hit of his career, has just given the Dodgers a two to one lead.
1: How you live in Frisco. And then how about last night? He does it again.
0: And he sends away- yes. Field we are tied. Cody Bellinger strikes again.
1: I mean that really was a holy bleep moment. That was so improbable. Such a bad, bad pitch to swing at. Even Bellinger himself was having trouble explaining how he pulled that off. Honestly, I for weird as it was, I saw it. You know, I saw it and I just tried to put a good swing on it. Um just one of those things, you know, balls coming in hard. Seaball, hit ball. Am I right, Stoner? Bellinger. Seaball, hit ball. Seaball, hit ball really far. My man was hacking. Hacking. Now, that gave them new life, but it did only tie the game. And then there was Mookie Betts, of course, to finish it.
0: The lead in the eighth.
1: Of course, that was the guy to deliver in that situation. There was no way he wasn't going to. Not after what that mellow stoner did. My man Bellinger is so clutch. He's unbelievable. How do you have the year that he had and then clutch up the way he did in that moment? But of course, you had Mookie there doing what he always does. There was no way he wasn't going to do it because there's only one Mookie bets. Man, I cannot get over how good this guy is. I can't get over how special this guy is. As good as you think Mookie is, he's still better, and he proved it again last night. He doesn't just make plays. He makes everybody around him better. He even helped Bellinger explain the whole home run. Alvy, run the entire clip for me.
3: Like, man, maybe you shouldn't have swung at that, but the result was good. Or I, I mean, that was just a crazy,
1: yeah, was I a mean, crazy honest, pitch. Yeah, it was. Honestly, I'm— weird as it was I saw it you know I saw it and I just tried to put a good swing on it um, it's just one of those things you know ball's coming in hard some shadows you're dealing with so uh, I saw it well and I just tried to barrel it up and uh, I just tried to get Will home um, like I said just continue to barrel up the ball and pass the baton but uh, tell them you belly, they're good but you drive a Benz too bro <laughs> <laughs> I, do got a, I do got a Benz <laughs> there you go Belly does have a Benz so does Mookie last night they rolled hard in those Benzes Bellinger and Betts changed everything last night they changed that game, they changed that series they may have changed the entire season as Dave Roberts said quote, this is a freaking big hit a freaking big hit you know, and it does change quite a few things now I'm not saying that they won that series last night I'm not saying they won the World Series last night I am saying that big head did make a bet on the Dodgers to win it all before that game. I'm telling you, man, that head, that head can see things before it happens. What I'm saying is, though, if Bellinger does not do what he does last night, their season's already over. But this is why you can never, ever throw dirt on the Dodgers. Yes, they're down two games to one. But they've got a 20-game winner, Julio Urias, on the bump tonight. The Braves are going with a bullpen game and the knowledge that they choked away a three games to one lead against L.A. last year. So that's rattling around in their domes and the Dodgers are bumping around town in their benzes with all their swag and all their mojo back in place. What I'm saying in effect is if you have two hands around their throat, you better choke them out. The Braves did, but they couldn't finish. And if it comes back to bite them in the ass and they choke again, they will never live that down. They've already got that rep. But if they can't finish this time, that will stick to them forever and then it's even worse. I mean, Cody Bellinger could hit 065 next year and still never have to buy a drink in this town ever again if the Dodgers come back. Vlad Guerrero... Hitting moonshots off his shoelaces. Thought that Cody mashing that home run from the letters was ridiculous. Mookie ridiculous. and Bellinger came to Dodger Stadium in a Benz while Walker Bueller drove up in a broken-down Yugo. Still doesn't matter. He'll be back. You spot that guy two-run lead, you think it's automatic. It's guaranteed. And then they fall behind 5-2. And I'm not going to lie, I thought they were dead. I thought they were done. I'm thinking to myself, time to die. We were dead in the wall. Again, I'm not Dr. Jim. I don't care. All right, so let's talk some money for a minute. When you want to find great rates, organize your finances, or just make more intelligent money decisions, where do you go? Lending tree. That's where, because LendingTree is here for you. With the LendingTree app, you can see all your bank accounts at a glance so you can better understand your spending and saving and build a budget that works for you. Plus, you can monitor your credit score, explore ways to improve your credit, and get automatic alerts to protect your identity. You're starting to get a sense Lending Tree can help you with a lot of different things. Lending Tree can help make sure that you're getting your best deal on loans, insurance, credit cards, and more through their wide network of banks and lenders. Also, Lending Tree gives you personalized tips and insights to help you save money and reach your financial dreams. So whether you want to pay off debt, buy a home, build credit, or just make things a little easier, Lending Tree has your back for all your short and long-term goals. There are no subscriptions, no fees, no hassle, just easy, honest, straightforward support to make the most of your money and achieve greater financial health. So download the free LendingTree app right now and get started and see why thousands of people turn to LendingTree every single day for smarter, easier finances. Terms and conditions may apply. NMLS number 1136. Logan Wilson is my guest. Logan, it's good to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Appreciate the visit. You got a big one coming up. Let me first ask you about the game against Detroit first, if you don't mind. You are coming off a game where maybe the team was not at its very best, but you still win by 23. What's it say about this group that you can go out on the road, handle business like that, and not even on your best day, still win like that?
3: Yeah, I think – Any win you can get on the road is a big one, especially in this league. Um, you know, it's the saying goes, any given Sunday. So we knew that. Um, and we wanted to bounce back after that tough loss to the Packers. So, um, you know, we're a resilient team, and we just got a bunch of guys that are hungry to continue to work hard. And, um, you know, we had a great week of practice. And then when we went went there and did what we were supposed to do in Detroit, so um, it was definitely good to to end the week with a win.
1: Logan Wilson joining us. All right. So on second and twenty in the first quarter, I mentioned you've got four interceptions. You got your fourth one. It was a great, great play. What did you see as the ball was in the air and then you ripped it out? Shoot,
3: I didn't. I mean, I was just running with the uh, receiver down the field. Um, I didn't. I didn't turn and look for the ball. Um, our, our safety Von Bell came over. Also, um, got in on the play and. Um, Help dislodge the ball out, and um, you know I just happened to be in the right place at the right time.
1: See, looking your linebacker coach Al Golden has made the point that you're playing so much faster this year because of the experience you have now. He also said that you are clearly a third down linebacker, and there aren't very many of them in the league. How much pride do you take in that role as a guy that plays three downs?
3: Oh, I take a lot of pride in it. Um, A lot of that, you know, attributes to I think growing up my whole life playing football. I had never played linebacker. Um, I was a defensive back my whole career until I got to the University of Wyoming where Coach Bull decided to move me there. So I kind of used the, um, I'd say, my my past background um, to my advantage, and I take big pride in being able to stay on the field for all three downs.
1: All right, so that was back in the summer of 2015. He said to you, you know what? I think I want to move you to linebacker, and as you pointed out, you really had no experience or very little experience at that spot. So what was your reaction when he first broached the subject with you?
3: Yeah, uh, I wasn't... (laughs) wasn't very uh sure of it at at the time um but i i've always been a team first guy and i i understood that you know what he thought was best to help benefit our team moving forward and so it was a no-brainer for me um it obviously took some time to adjust but you know that whole year that i redshirted i was playing on scout team as a linebacker so i kind of got used to the um the physicality nature of it in a sense uh, obviously didn't get to run our scheme as much but um that kind of helped and then you know the rest is history so
1: logan wilson joining us hey never mind not playing linebacker i mean the fact of the matter is initially you weren't playing much football the story goes that when you were young you played soccer but then you started hanging out with some kids who were really into football including the son of a high school football coach so when did you first start thinking seriously about and focusing on football oh
3: man uh you know i think it was more been third grade um was when I started playing like flag football, um but I never really wanted to play tackle football I was just i don't know I was just nervous about it I don't know exactly what my reasoning was, but uh I ended up giving it a shot and um you know just really liked it, and then just kind of took it i don't know like year by year and grew up with some friends that you know helped me enjoy the game and um i had a I had a lot of great people, a lot of great support system. Um, you know throughout my whole career and it's just I think it's just um just built on that
1: we're talking Logan Wilson I'm jumping around on topics but it's all really interesting to me like Craig Bull when he took over as head coach at Wyoming he made recruiting in-state players a priority so what did it mean to you to receive an offer from him and to get that chance to play there
3: I mean that was huge this for me that was my dream school that's where I wanted to play and um I know a lot of other Wyoming kids would say the same thing you know it, it, for us in Wyoming that's our professional sports team because it's the only four year uh, in state university and so when Wyoming kids you know, get an opportunity to go represent that Brown and Gold, it's a no-brainer for them, and obviously I'm very thankful and um, humbled that Coach Bull gave me that opportunity, and I just kind of took it and ran with it.
1: We're talking Bengal football. Logan Wilson is joining us now. Earlier in the season, Joe Burrow was talking about the elite level that you're playing at right now. This is what Joe said about you, quote, he's a guy that you love to have on your team and you would hate to play against when he's in zone coverage. He reads the quarterback's eyes better than anybody, end of quote. So I'm curious about that skill, the ability to read a quarterback's eyes. Where does that come from? Is that film study or is that something else?
3: Uh I mean obviously there's only so much film study you can do. Um you know obviously the great quarterbacks have different ways of doing, you know, that kind of stuff, but I think a lot of it is just like I said earlier, it attributes to me basically playing defensive back my whole life. I know I was a I was a, a safety, and then I got moved to corner, like, my junior and senior year of high school. So I've been a defensive back, um, and I also played on offense at receiver um, with in terms of, like, understanding ball skills and stuff like that. So uh, I think it's just a combination of a lot of different things, truthfully.
1: You know, see, I, I get this, Logan, but it seems like not everybody sees it that way. For instance, your teammate Mike Hilton, he thinks that you've got some kind of secret juice. <laughs> like, like he, he wants to know what it is and he rattles off all these things that you do. Like you go to bed at nine thirty, you hit the norm attack every single night and that you've got some sort of secret or a secret juice. I mean, what is the secret? What's the juice? I,
3: you know, I I wish I had I and they, I could have pinpointed that, but um, you know, I just think it's I've always prided myself in doing the little things right because those are what make up the big things. Um, and those little things that you just mentioned that Mike had mentioned on the sideline of that of the Pittsburgh game um, are all things I actually do. I don't know if he actually knew that, but it was just funny he was joking about that and like getting the Norma Tex at home, going to bed at nine thirty. Um, just doing all the little things right, I think, is kind of, I guess, you could say is my recipe.
1: All right, so what that's led to, among other things, is you've got the green dot on your helmet. Teammates have talked about how they appreciate you as a leader. How do you like being in that role, and then how did you ascend to that spot so quickly in your NFL career?
3: You know, I, I, I think I'm more comfortable in this in the fact that uh, I had done something very similar to it when it, my freshman year of um, at the University of Wyoming, um, when I was redshirting, or my redshirt freshman season, I was able to play um, next to a Mike linebacker named Lucas Waka. And so I was an outside backer, and so I kind of got to you know, learn the ropes and kind of see how he ran the defense at Mike. Um, and then the following year I took over as a Mike linebacker, and that was kind of the same situation here. Uh, I got to learn under Josh Bynes, um, who's now with the Ravens, and he's been in the league for, I think, 10 years now. So he knows a lot of football, and he's very good at what he does. Um, and so I had an opportunity to kind of learn under him and see how he ran the defense and then just kind of, um, you know, pick up his keys and just keep moving forward.
1: We're talking to Logan Wilson for a couple of more moments. You mentioned the Ravens, so they're all big, right? But this one especially, you've got Baltimore coming up this weekend. You were re- recently talking about Lamar Jackson and his added threat as a runner, as a linebacker. How do you go about preparing to face Jackson?
3: You know, I think that's, that, that task is always easier said than done. Um, you know, he's one of the He's, he's the, in my opinion, he's the best dual-threat quarterback there is in the National Football League. Um, there's just things that he can do. You know, when he, there's there's a difference between playing mobile quarterbacks, um, and then there's guys that can that are just dangerous with the ball in their hands at all times. And he's he's the key to their you know their success. And so um, we're always going to have our hands full playing him. Um, you know, obviously we have a lot of respect for him, and what he's done. He's he's always in the MVP race every season and. Um, you know we 're going to have our hands full, but it 's going to be a good challenge for us,
1: Logan you just made the point and you said it right off the very top he 's a dual threat that 's the phrase you use dual threat after you talked about his ability as a runner, some folks seemed to think that you were knocking him as a passer and as a quarterback. Yes. How frustrating was that for you
3: I mean it was definitely frustrating because that's not that's not me anyone who knows who, who me as a person um that 's nothing I would ever say I would never. Uh, disrespect someone like that. We we all everyone knows what he's done in this league, and it's very 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 impressive. Um, and like I said, he's he's very tough to bring down at all times. I was just trying to um, credit him as his gift with his gifts as a runner because he can make people miss like like none other. So. Um, he's very good at what he does. Yeah,
1: that's why I asked that question like that, because I've known you as a person for seven minutes, and that does not sound like something you would say. And that's not what you said when you say he's a dual threat. So let me ask you this finally. Bengal fans have been through a lot over the years. When you take a step back and you look at where you are and where that team is at this point in the season, how bright is the future not only for this year but for years to come for this franchise?
3: You know, I think for the most part – I think we've got guys, really good guys in this, on, in this system, you know, and with the staff, um, and guys on this team. And, um, you know, we're just right now, we're just taking it one day at a time. Truthfully. Um, obviously you guys want to see, I think we got, you know, very good young players that we'll hopefully have for years to come. Um, but right now we're just kind of living in the here and now taking this one day, one week at a time. And, um, Focus on the Ravens this week.
1: It's working as well, too. 4-2, and two, second in the division. Big game at Baltimore on Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern time on CBS. And linebacker Logan Wilson, my guest. Logan, I really appreciate the time and the conversation. Thank you very much. Good luck this weekend.
3: Thank you, guys, very much. Appreciate you.
1: So let me drop some numbers on you. Scary numbers. Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they are 35. More than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness. And there are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both. So why don't we talk for a minute about Keeps. Keeps offers a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered right to your door every three months so you do not have to leave your home and low-cost treatments, starting at only 10 bucks per month, and Keeps offers generic versions. On top of that, discreet packaging and proven results. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of the competition. But here's something you got to keep in mind. Prevention is key. Treatments can take 4 to 6 months to see results, so you want to move on this right now. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com/rome. Get your first month of treatment for free. That's com slash p s.com/rome and get your first month free. keeps.com slash p s.com/rome. Ben Simmons. The NBA season is underway. There are people freaking out about the Lakers, but the big topic really is Ben Simmons. The Ben Simmons saga. I got to be honest, up until now, it's been pretty tedious, pretty lame, pretty boring. I was over it. But then in the last week or so, man, it got nice. It got really interesting all of a sudden. As an example, there was Simmons shocking everybody by reporting last week. Remember that. And when I say shocking everybody, I mean everybody. Like, his own team, his own organization didn't even see that coming. Somebody actually texted GM Elton Brand to say that Ben was outside the building and needed to get in in order to take a COVID test. Like, they're like, he's outside? They didn't even know. At that point, it sounded like, all right, Ben is coming home, and it's going to get a little bumpy, and it should be a little bit rocky, but at least the guy's showing up to go to work. In the very least, if this guy shows up and tries a little bit, then maybe that should help the team trade him. Or at least that was the thought. But then there was that report last week that some people in the organization thought that he might have actually faked COVID exposure in order to get out of Game 7 of the Atlanta Hawks series, which is still one of the most insane reports ever. A perennial All-Star... Allegedly faking COVID exposure to avoid playing in a game seven. Treating a game seven of the postseason like a seventh grade geometry test. Faking a sick day to get out of taking a test. Faking a sick day or a headache or a stomach ache so you could do it again later on. So that was then. Then you had that practice where he allegedly was carrying a phone in his pocket during that practice. Which sounds crazy, right? But then let's be honest. If you tried to fake a COVID exposure to avoid the biggest game of your entire career, showing up with a laptop in your pants would sound normal. And then you've got yesterday. And everything that went down yesterday. Shams tweeted, quote, sources... Doc Rivers asked Ben Simmons to join a defensive drill today. Simmons refused. Rivers asked again. Simmons said no again. Rivers then told Simmons he should go home. And Simmons dropped the ball and left. End of tweet. Now that's awesome. I mean, that that is the absolute best. If faking a COVID test and showing up with a phone in his pants was middle school, then this is preschool. I mean, imagine being so far in your own head, so completely and utterly gone, that you thought that it would be a good idea to just refuse to participate in a drill, and then to refuse to participate in that same drill a second time, and then get kicked out of practice. And then it's not just leave, all right? It's not just, ah oh, they sent me home. I mean, guys get kicked out of practice, right? But it's not just that. You're also suspended for the opener. And now you're out 1.4 mil, according to Woj, and you're making a total ass of yourself every step along the way. And it doesn't have to be this way. You do not have to set your entire reputation on fire in the process. You do not have to make everybody think that you're an unprofessional, immature, petulant little brat you don't have to have your teammates talking about babysitting you the way Joel Embiid was yesterday.
4: But at the end of the day, our job is not to babysit somebody. Uh, you, know, we, you know, we get paid to, we're just on the court, go out, play hard, uh, win some games. That's all we get paid for. We don't get paid to come out here and, you know, try to babysit somebody and show my teammates feel that way.
1: We don't get paid to come out here and babysit our teammates. And that's not the only thing Joel had to say. There was also this.
4: At this point, I don't care about that man. Honestly, he does whatever he wants. Uh, you know, that's not my job. Uh, you know, that's those guys' jobs. Uh, you know, I'm only focused on trying to make the team better, uh, win some games. Uh, you know, play hard every night. Uh, try to lead. You know, the guys that we have here, uh, and I'm sure they feel the same way because. You know, our chemistry has been excellent, uh, despite, you know, everything that's been happening in the, uh, the last few months. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, uh, I, don't, I don't really care.
1: Like, we can debate how he meant that. We can debate the comma position. Was he saying, I don't really care about that, man? Or was he saying, I don't really care about that, man? One is a little more severe, but neither is good. Nor is the fact that Joe chased it with, quote, he does whatever he wants, end quote. Not exactly a ringing endorsement to any potential trade partner. Hey, Ben, how is this whole thing working out for you? Because everybody knows that you're a gifted player. Everybody knows that you can do things on the floor that only a few other guys can actually do. Lockdown Defender excellent distributor, and yes, shooting is a massive flaw at the moment. But if you fix that, we're talking about you maybe being an MVP candidate year after year after year. Like, you could have the league in the palm of your hand. Instead, you've made yourself completely toxic, and honestly, you look like an idiot. You're an idiot. Do yourself a favor. Fire up that tablet that you allegedly had in your pants. And check out the local headlines in Philadelphia today. There's Ban Simmons. There's BS Walks. Like, if you really want to be traded, there are ways you can do it. I mean, it's not pretty. It's not professional. But it'll get the job done. It works. You could do what Anthony Davis did in New Orleans and request a trade. And then make it clear that it's really not a request, but it's a demand. Or you can do what James Harden did and skip working with his team and hand out honey buns with little baby or too little baby and then show up fat. Fat. I mean, barrel-chested when you do show up. Or you could do what plenty of guys have done in the past and report for camp and then fake an injury. or uh, Suffer a hamstring pull and just sit out. You could do any of these things, or you could do what you've done, which is pretty much shoot yourself in the foot every possible way. Nobody looks worse here than Simmons. Say what you want about James Harden and how hard he partied and the fact that he ate his way out of Houston, allegedly. Everybody knew he wanted to get to a better place. The Rockets were rebuilding. Harden did not want to be a part of that rebuild. That part of his antics was understandable on some level. Ben Simmons, though, wants off the team that had the best record in the East last year. He wants to get away from a team that has a legitimate look at an NBA championship. So again, the question for the entire league or anybody watching this is, for who, for what? James Harden's rep took a hit. Anthony Davis took a hit when he wanted out of New Orleans. But most people could understand why those guys wanted out of those places. I'm not sure anybody anywhere understands why Simmons wants out of Philly. Why? Because his name came up in trade talks with Houston? Because Joel is a bigger deal? Because Doc Rivers said something hurtful after that brutal Game 7 loss where he passed up a slam dunk? We're come to find out he might have tried to get out of the game altogether by faking COVID exposure. Why does this guy want out? And the really stupid thing is he wants out that badly. But what he's doing is making it so much more difficult and not easier for Philadelphia to trade him. The market for this guy is plummeting because people around the league are going to question if this guy is worth the headache. Is a really talented guy worth the idiocy that comes with how he's handled the last few months? Like, what potential future teammate is going to look at what Joel Embiid has gone through with Simmons and think, man, that's the guy I want to go to war with. That's the guy I want to run with. That's the guy I want to play with. Get me Ben Simmons. I want the guy who allegedly faked a COVID exposure to avoid playing in a game seven. I want the guy who shows up to practice with a laptop in his back pocket. Allegedly. I mean, if you did even the bare minimum, if you managed to get through a practice without getting sent home, you would help your rep and your trade value. If you didn't get suspended for the regular season opener and you balled out, the market would heat up. You'd help your rep, and you'd help your chances of getting the hell out of town for whatever reason you want to get the hell out of town for. But instead, you're doing this. Whatever this is. But let me tell you, this, whatever it is, is like the dumbest thing ever. Because if Ben completely tuned out And couldn't give two bleeps. You know what? Why not let the guy play? Feed him to Philly fan. If he doesn't want to lose a paycheck and Daryl Morey is not willing to take less than market value, let's see how it plays out. Get him on the court. Maybe Ben can post TikToks during free throws. Maybe when he's open, he can launch half-court hook shots. You know, kind of like back in the day. When Mark Aguire was doing things like that with the Clippers. Tom Tolbert told me this story back in the day about Aguire when he was not happy where he was.
0: Mark Aguire's on the opposite side of the court. We're inbounding at half court. So he comes up, he's the only guy open at the time. They pass him the ball. And what does he do? Instead of turning and trying to find something, the dude throws up a metallark lemon forty foot hook. <laughs> And doesn't even draw a glass. I mean, just so I'm sitting there on the I'm sitting on the bench, going, I'm pretty sure that's not the way he drew it up. Like, I wasn't paying complete attention because I wasn't in the game, but I'm pretty sure we don't have that one in the playbook. Hey, I'm
1: pretty sure Mark Aguirre didn't give a damn. He's Mark Aguirre. Oh no, no,
0: I know for a fact he didn't give a damn. I, there's no pretty sure about it. He didn't give a rat's ass about that shot or that guy. So the next day, just to cap off the story, we're playing uh, the Warriors, my former team and Mully was still there, and we were walking off, and Mully walked by and goes, dude. He goes, that was an unbelievable play you guys ran last night. He goes, I tried to get Nelly to put that one in the playbook.
1: Good times. Oh, Alvin found that one from the archives. What year is that? That's probably one of those ones that's so old we don't have a year. Actually, I take that back. That's when I had an appearance up north. So that was probably five years ago. Tom Tolbert talking about Mark Aguirre throwing up hook shots from 40 feet out. That's what Ben should do. Hey, Ben, go ahead and pass up those wide open dunks in game seven. But throw up a metal lark lemon hook shot from 50 feet. If you're like me, your weekend plans include kicking back, watching live sports. It doesn't matter what sport you're watching, it's always fun to have a little action. Personally, I've got my eye on Chicago at Tampa Bay for a Week 7 showdown. This is why I'm going to recommend downloading the WinBet app right now. Whether you're a recreational player or a serious handicapper, WinBet is your ticket to every exciting wager, from straight bets to parlays, teasers, exotic proposition wagers, anything you can dream up. The app is so easy to use, and everybody knows that Win. Is one of the biggest and best brands in the gaming industry. So get off the sidelines. Join in on the action right now. Once again, you want to download the WinBet app right now on Google Play or the Apple App Store today and get yourself in the game. Win with WinBet. Terms and conditions at WinBet.com. You do have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Chris Herring is my guest. Chris, good to have you back. How are you? I'm great, Jim. How are you? Good, good. Good to visit with you. Let me start right here. The NBA season's underway, and we could have a whole conversation about the games from last night alone, Chris. But Ben Simmons has done a pretty amazing job of being the story of the league over the past week. I'm curious, what was your reaction when you heard he got thrown out of practice for refusing to participate in a defensive drill, and then generally his act overall? What do you think when you see this?
2: <laughs> I was telling people before, I was surprised that it wasn't an offensive drill that he decided to opt out of. That was my Ooh, first ouch,
0: thought.
2: right. Um, the second thought though was that man, this you know, for how ugly this looks, and obviously it's ugly and it's beyond repair at this point, um, it, it shows he just he clearly never wanted to come back. It was just about how much money he was losing through the fines and everything like that. And so, you know, maybe this is one way to get out of it, but my goodness, you know, as far as his value around the league, I mean, it could become a really, really – it already is an ugly game of chicken, but um, if you're the Sixers and you were just going to hold out for what you wanted, you're probably more likely to do that now just because who who wants somebody that's kind of behaving that way? Um, and, And Simmons must know that. Maybe he's just trying to torpedo everything on the way out, but it may be a while. And so, you know, it might be one of those situations where everybody needs to grab a Snickers.
1: See, Chris, I was talking about this. It seems to me like I could see why Anthony Davis wanted out of his situation. I could see why James Harden wanted out of his situation. You know, right or wrong, I could see where they want to be in different situations. Do you have a sense as to why Simmons wants out of Philly?
2: Yeah, I was talking to someone about that, too. I mean, this was a number one seed that got upset in the second round, has an MVP candidate where you're not asked to be the lead scorer for this team you have a role where you can settle in and, and be, you know, maybe a defensive player of the year at some point. Um, and you don't even have to handle the ball all the time. You're not asked to shoot much. And you have a max deal <laughs> for several more years. So it's it's pretty peachy. I mean, I does he have feelings about what Doc Rivers said? And frankly, you know, Doc did say something that you're not used to hearing coaches speak that candidly in the aftermath of a really horrible loss where he's straight upset. I don't know if, if we win this. And win a championship with him as our point guard that that is hard to hear, and um, Bede also had comments that were pretty suggestive of how hurtful that play was and kind of how it hurt their chances of winning that series. but again, I mean you're making a lot of money in a big market um, and people can talk about how horrible the Philly fans are they've got their moments, certainly, but I, I think if anything they they are rooting they were rooting for Ben Simmons and encouraging him just to shoot um, I mean the guy seems really afraid to fail. So I'm not sure where you go where at some point if he goes to a smaller place where the expectations are lower, but he ends up being even more of a face of what they're doing, I don't know that that ultimately makes it easier for him.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: uh, I don't know what the answer is or which side is up for him at this point.
1: Chris Herring is joining us. He's a senior writer at Sports Illustrated. All right, so before Simmons grabbed that spotlight, Kyrie Irving and the Nets were occupying that spot for a while. What do you make of this Nets team without Kyrie?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think that they're still capable of winning the East and maybe winning the whole thing without them because the rest of that roster is a lot better than it was last year as far as the depth on it. Uh, you got to see some of that last night. I mean, it was a team that looked like they, they clearly need some time to play together, um, including the, the bench guys that are going to be a big part of it. Whether they're as able to withstand a, a serious injury to Kevin Durant or James Harden that would keep them out for 20 games, Maybe not, um, you know, as if you had three people and then the ability to withstand that. But I don't think any of this really matters for the regular season. It's kind of more can they hit a rhythm and can they really develop the things they need to by the end of the season. And by the way, as we talk about Simmons and where he ends up, if Kyrie's not going to play and he's just not going to get vaccinated, you know, is he going to sit out a whole season? Would he do that? And if he's not and he wants to play but just isn't going to get the shot and play in Brooklyn, do they get something for him? Even if it's not a third star, if it's even more depth, if it is someone that is kind of a, you know in between just a role player and someone that is a superstar, um, they could make use of that as well, and it kind of bolsters them still. So I, I, I'm not concerned about them. I did kind of think that Milwaukee would be better early on in the season, if not later in the season, just because they have all the cohesion that Brooklyn really does not yet.
1: Chris Herring is joining us. All right, speaking of Milwaukee, I thought you made a really interesting point on the crossover podcast when you said that you didn't think that Giannis could win the MVP again this season. So let me ask Uh, you, (laughs) has he, I mean, the point being though, has he reached a point of Jordan, LeBron excellence where there's almost Giannis MVP fatigue? Is that what we're talking about?
2: I I think possibly. I, I will say this. A lot of times, like, I think LeBron potentially would have won more uh, and would have won the one right after he went to Miami had people not been so up in arms about the way he left for Miami. And so I think sometimes, you know, my point may be accurate, may be wrong as far as the fatigue. I mean, he's coming off a title, he's 26. And so he still has room to get better with the jumper and with other things as well. But I also think he's really well liked uh, in a way that a lot of people are not by the time that they get to this stage as far as just like being universally loved, it's really hard to find people who just say negative things about Giannis uh, in terms of, you know, he hasn't had a decision moment. And I don't know that he ever will. And so that part of it is worth keeping in mind too. But I think the point that, that uh, some of my colleagues made on that podcast that you were speaking about is that it's just harder for me, a lot of times what I look at when I'm looking at an MVP vote or something like that, is is this kind of standard for what they've done already or are they pushing new boundaries? And with Jokic, that was what he was doing. With Giannis in his second year that he won the MVP, he had done that. With Steph in his second year, uh, where he was uni- unanimous, it was the same sort of thing where he, he went above and beyond even what he'd done the first time he won it. I think it gets harder for Giannis to keep doing that unless he develops a jumper. But it's possible, and it's very possible that his team ends up with the best record, which also you would think gives him a little bit of a leg up in terms of trying to do it. But I do think once you start getting in that rarefied era of three awards, four awards that you've won, it gets a little bit harder just because I think at that point, you're basically saying this guy is one of the greatest to ever play, and he is, but is he, like, Jordan-level greatest to ever play, or is he somewhere in between there? And I think some people will probably have that question and maybe hold off and voting
1: to I think that's a very interesting conversation. Chris Herring joining us. All right, one more thing really quickly. When you look at the Lakers, they opened up their season last night with that loss to Golden State. They were up two games to one on Phoenix in the postseason before it all fell apart. In your opinion, did they really need to blow it all up and radically reshape the roster the way that they did?
2: I mean, it's months later, and I'm still stunned that they did that. Not just that they blew it up, but that you blew it up to bring Russell Westbrook in. And I know it's just game one. Um, you know, and there are people that are more nerd oriented like me that are going to look at the box score and also watch the game and notice the nuances of the game as well. But notice right away that, you know, Russ is not necessarily the things that you need for that team, uh, as a third star. You normally think of third stars, Clay Thompson with Durant and Steph, and, and, you know, people like that, Ray Allen with Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, guys that kill you if you can't get out to them as a defender to stop them from shooting because you leave them wide open. Russ is not a good shooter. You would rather him be wide open, and he's not someone that's going to cut, and he's not someone that's going to screen, and he's kind of not a defender that you want to have out there when Steph is out there uh, because he's not going to stay with Steph. And so he was a minus 23 last night in a game that was relatively close. Nobody else had anything near that as far as the plus minus. So that's the sort of thing I worry about. It's early. I'm sure they'll figure it out, but I would have kept the roster more similar and just banked on those guys being healthier this year then blow it up for that, but if they could prove me wrong. Who knows? It's early.
1: So, Chris, really quickly as a follow-up, what do you think? All of that said, that makes sense to me. What you said. What do you think that LeBron was thinking? Like, what? Do you, what kind of conversations was LeBron having in the mansion when he had Russ yeah. over and said, "This would work. This would work. This is why you should join us." What was his pitch?
2: You know, I think it's it's similar to what we were saying a moment ago about Brooklyn. Is if you have AD go down, or even if LeBron goes down again at least you have a a third guy that can kind of step in and take some of the brunt off everybody else. Um, And so there's that part of it. But also, you know, God bless LeBron, but I I also think star players kind of have blind spots when it comes to the sorts of things that we're talking about, about what really makes a championship team. Uh, He's great. He's a great player. But does he contribute to winning in the same way that, like, Chris Paul does? We had those guys traded straight up, and you kind of saw that right away with washington in that situation and oklahoma city and houston and that whole thing and oklahoma city was in the playoffs at a time where no one expected that and you know quite frankly i'm, I'm not sure how much russ helped in some situations with regards to houston when he wasn't really going to the basket and being aggressive so we've seen that play out before it doesn't mean they can't win i just think there are other guys that would do that more efficiently and i think third guys that would do that more efficiently i think russ he would probably help the most off the bench that's kind of a hot take but I don't think that he has the—he's he, got too big of an ego to do that. And I think that Frank Vogel probably would not consider it. Certainly not this early, but ever. And I don't think LeBron would either. But I think that he would be better suited there than you know, being taking the ball out of LeBron's hand. That's what I don't quite understand. You want LeBron to have the ball, and Russ needs the ball too. Um, he's not going to help you as much as a jump shooter.
1: He is a senior writer at Sports Illustrated, co-host of Open Floor SI's NBA Show. And he's got a book that is now available for pre-order, Blood on the Hardwood, The Flagrant History of the 1990 New York Knicks. Chris Herring, my guest. Chris, really appreciate it. Great job, as always. Always look forward to having you on the show, Chris. Thanks so much.
2: Always love being on. Thanks so much, Jim.
1: Rome, my beef is with these pharma commercials. They use actors pretending to be athletes. With millions of -of out-of-work actors out there, you can't find even one that can spike a volleyball or shoot a three- without looking like my boss at a company picnic? And for God's sake, there is no bunting in slow-pitch softball. Jeff, in Boise, see what I mean? Really random. I don't care what your beef is, if it's a strong beef. If there's something that's aggravating you, I'm here for it. Hey, Rome. I have a beef with the people on an escalator that stand right in the middle. Despite what many of you bags seem to think, there are rules for using an escalator. Move to the right when you're standing still. Stick to the left side if you're walking up or down. It's pretty simple. Aaron in Iowa. See what I mean? Random. This guy's complaining about escalator etiquette. Escalator protocol. Rome Slice, my beef is with the dirt bags that drive around with dogs in their lap. These gigantic tools swerve all over the road like Mark Few on Boone's Farm while their Pomeranian bounces all over the steering wheel and dash. Do us all a favor and just let the dog drive because Fifi is clearly smarter than you. Thanks. Justin in Redding. See, that's different. And not good for Mark Few. At 541 Brown, quote, Rome, my beef is with Red Bull drinkers. You people make coffee breath actually smell good. Jim in Indiana, quote, My beef is with the guy who came up with thin Reese's peanut butter cups. What moron thinks that smaller servings of candy is a good thing? Wore Costco-sized bags of Skittles that last through an entire program. Signed, Garrett Ritt. Hey, Jim. My beef is with people in my office and they're noisy water bottles. If you aggressively screw the lid off and on your hydro flask one more time, I might pop my own lid. I promise you do not need to take a tiny sip of water or whatever strange liquid you're concealing every seven seconds. And you definitely don't need to shake the ice repeatedly either. Jay-Z Minneapolis. All right, that's a new one. That's That's one that I've not heard before. Thermos protocol. That guy must be so pissed. You he could hear it. Like all day long he has to deal with that. Hey Jim, my beef is with people who get up ridiculously early for no reason. Do do? Then they proceed to do dishes and have loud conversations at 5.30 in the morning. Yeah, don't worry about it. I was going to get up in three hours anyway. I'll come visit you again. Never. Yeah, Lee, you sound like a great guy to have around. I I don't think you have to worry about that, Lee. I don't think you're going to get an invite ever again. You know, there there are people that you have over to your house that are easy to have around. And then there's Lee. You know, the ones that help out and the ones who do nothing but wait for you to wait on them. Like Lee. Susie from Wisco writes, Hey, Grandma. Stop asking questions in the movie. I have the same amount of information you do. If you can't hear, read the subtitles. If you can't read, then just rest your eyes and I will watch for the both of us. War lady, clone. Hey, Jimothy, my beef is with the dude that tucks the top of his ears under his baseball cap. Pull those Dumbo ears out and rock that dome piece like a man, you bag. (laughs) Nick and Eerie. (laughs) Margo from Buffalo is in. Quote, my beef is when you're at a four-way traffic stop and the person in the other car waves for you to go and you wave for them to go. They wave again for you to go. And then when you start to go, they go. Hello, Get your bleep together. (laughs) Rome, my beef is with Funyuns. They taste like complete ass. Yet take up one quarter of the Frito-Lay mixed snack package. Stoners don't even like them. Hey, Frito-Lay, how about mixing in a few extra bags of Cool Ranch nachos instead of that greasy crap? Dresden Seatown, Warcase Keenum. Yeah, I gotta admit, I don't go looking for them, but I'm not opposed when I see them. I'm okay with them. Funyuns don't bother me. In fact, Dodger Jano actually likes them. Mmm. 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 Rit loves them. Mmm, onions. Mm. Ryan in Sacktown, Jr. I have beef with adults who begin eating their groceries before they check out. Jane Humboldt, quote: I got beef with guy in a packed restroom. Let me stop right there. Every single beef segment always has at least one beef. There's always some bathroom beef. Like, I thought we'd run through all of it by now, but I haven't, apparently. I got beef with Guy in a packed restroom, standing at the urinal, with his drawers around his ankles, who then then lets one rip. It's bad enough we have to see his nasty butt. Now he's going to share his beef stew? Gross. Yo, fellas. That doesn't need to see the light of day. I can't keep that off Twitter, but I can't keep that off the air. Chalk. I don't know who's responsible for that. You were writ. Seems more like chalk humor to me. H-O-F Spillane tweets, Rome, my beef is with my husband. When he goes to work, he always leaves the lid to his coffin open. Signed Mrs. Chalk. Somewhat clever. Here she is. She's a killer. At Romy's My Homie tweets. I got beef with Twitter for banning my account for making fun of some idiot rednecks, chrome. Truck nuts. Hey, Twitter, get yourself a big bag of rubber dongas and eat every rubber donga in it. You asses. Abigail in San Diego, unwar sensitive kooks.
4: War lady clones.
1: Abigail ain't playing. I don't know, Abigail, you got to work. You got to come with something pretty pretty offensive to get banned from Twitter <laughs> because there's a lot of really offensive stuff that they allow on Twitter. Or Lady Clones. All right, let's get to it. Let's go to the phones now. Quickly, we go to Kansas City. Bob on the phones. Bob, what's your beef?
3: Oh, Jim, my beef is with my son-in-law, Mo. I uh, taught him about the Jim Rome show, brought him up about the Jim Rome show, I'm listening to last Wednesday, and I hear Mo talking about my daughter on
1: the radio. That is not a good family look. Thanks, Jim. Have a great day. My man, Bob. All right, so I don't know if he's telling the truth or not. I don't know if that guy's playing off of this call or these two guys got together to set it up. I'll be shaking me off like he doesn't have it. I I know the Mo that he's talking about. Why are you shaking me off like that, dude? I... He hasn't found it yet. I know what you're talking about. 1-800-636-8686. Hey, Ike, if you're going to set me up to take that call, communicate with your engineer to make sure that he's got that sound. Can you dudes on the other side of the glass pull your heads out your asses and communicate with each other? All right? Wake up! Oh, no, you know, now you have it, Alvin. Way to get it in the same day. Go ahead. My beef is
3: with my wife, man. Last night, you know, we're wrestling around and all of a sudden she wanted me to pin her. And I'm like, "Eh, Jim, I don't want to have another kid with her.
1: All right. So apparently her dad just called and said that he had a beef with his son-in-law for talking about the family like that on the show said i turned him on to the jim rome show i didn't expect him to call with that all right better late than never fellas let's go this time to montana sean hey sean what's your beef
3: jim my beef is with your kinder gentler definition of a clone for your 2021 listeners i've been listening since 93 690 days when i was in camp pendleton a clone would listen to the program call your show and regurgitate your own take right back to you. And then when your show ended, they'd call Hacksaw, they'd call the coach, uh, John Cantera, and they would offer your opinion on their show as their own, uh, their own take. And it, a clone was derogatory, although imitation is a form of flattery, I guess. But I, I, I don't know. These kind of gently gentler times. My beef is the clone. There's a clone and a listener. I'm a listener, not a clone.
1: Love the show. I'm out. My man, you're right. You're right. That's true, by the way. You're right. I literally dumbed that down for the sake of brevity. You're right. It was kind of derisive. But again, I'm not going to bite the hand that feeds. Anyway, I I could give you the definition of a clone, but it would take like 10 minutes. And I don't have 10 minutes right now, but what he says is accurate. Let's go to Wisconsin. Doug in Wisco. What's going on, Doug? What's your beef?
3: Hey, everyone. Thanks for the call. My beef is with the home plate umpire, Diaz, the Stroh's Red Sox, last night. How many botched calls can you make? Especially in the most critical of times, of all these guys, Castro down, one, two, throws a beautiful curveball over the right side of the plate, botched call. Totally changed the game. If they get out of that inning, they're bottom of the ninth, they got, they got a chance to win the game. What the heck's up with that?
1: Right. Get in, get out. I, I hear you. I I feel your frustration. Like we said, there's got to be a human element involved, or maybe there doesn't, right? Bring on the robots. If you're going to affect the outcome and the bottom line, bring on the robots. Good night,